0: Hey everybody, welcome in to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Thanks you guys for joining. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for being a part of the show. But first, I just want to tell you a little bit about Bonner Paddock, who is my guest today. He grew up with cerebral palsy and was misdiagnosed for most of the early part of his life. Had to struggle with that and turned that around into an extremely inspirational story where now he's doing things like climbing mountains and doing Iron Man challenges in order to raise awareness and money for CP. He also started the OM Foundation, which you can find more about at onemanonemission.org. That's the number one. And he also wrote a really good book. It's so good, I actually read it. The book is called One More Step, My Story of Living with Cerebral Palsy, Climbing Kilimanjaro, and Surviving the Hardest Race on Earth. Which you can get at one more step dot one man one mission dot org, or just go straight to Amazon by clicking on the I want to know show dot com banner and buy that book. I don't want to give too much of the show away. We talked about his background growing up with CP, trying to play sports as a kid, of course, climbing Kilimanjaro and running marathons. We also talked about his inspiration about this, which is a little boy named Jake and everything he's gone through to get where he is now. We even take some listener questions and find out what Bonner's favorite ice cream is. Yes, you heard me correct. It's an incredibly fascinating and inspirational story, so I don't want to talk too much about it. So I am being joined by Bonner Paddock. You may know him from OneManOneMission.org or from his uh, inspirational book, One More Step, My Story of Living with Cerebral Palsy, Climbing Kilimanjaro, and Surviving the Hardest Race on Earth. I met this guy at the Century Ride Press Day uh, over in Westlake, and thought he was probably the most inspirational person I'd ever met. Bonner, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Wow, thank you. That's a, quite an intro. Appreciate that.
0: You know, I don't, I don't mean to get uh, overly cheesy or anything, but you, you hear a lot of motivational <laughs> speakers. Yeah, you, you see things. Work sends you to things. Oh, go see this motivational speaker. It's a team building thing. And I, and I usually don't really, to be honest, give a crap uh you spoke that day you showed your uh the trailer to the documentary they did on you and it it actually i mean it was very inspiring like i said i don't get too cheesy but it was super inspiring and it and i really enjoyed it
1: well thank you very much appreciate that the guys the, the filmmakers that have done a lot of that work have become great friends of mine so i think you can see a lot of their their passion and pride and in uh, all the stuff that they've helped me with. So i got to give credit to all of them for making an awesome video for that to help quick educate people and get them hopefully fired up on uh, what we're doing out there.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good, quick little intro to you and your story. Uh, The quick intro to your story is you have cerebral palsy. You were the first one with CP to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. You did the Ironman uh, Championships in Kona and actually completed it, um, which is insane for just people without any sort of disabilities to complete. <laughs> and I mean, the video shows, you know, show some of this, I will post to everyone listening. I will post uh links to the videos on the webpage. So you guys can check those out. Um, so maybe you could sort of just start off by telling us a little bit about growing up like this and growing up a little different.
1: Yeah. Growing up was, um, a little bit unique where I was misdiagnosed till I was 11 years old. So, um, you know, we really didn't know what I had um, luckily uh, regardless of what I did have I was able to walk and talk and you know participate in sports and everything like that and I think those things helped me keep uh, somewhat um, you know up with the kids my age and everything else but uh, once I got diagnosed and seemed to be doing you know decently well compared to some of the other uh, people that are afflicted with it it kind of my parents chose not to really talk about it and so it was a little bit unique in that sense that we weren't openly telling people about it if people kind of asked or really got in depth about of course we told them it's not like we you know didn't tell them but uh, as I grew up and and you know I didn't really think people would like me if they knew I had it or they would judge me based on it so a lot of times you know I chose as a kid and early adult to not really even say that I have CP, that I just say that I hurt my leg or hurt my hip or hurt my ankle. And uh, just the way that I walk, um, it could potentially look like just that. So um, as I got older, it really turned into a thing of, wow, I feel like I've got a really big secret and I need to figure out how I start telling people. And at the end of the day, that was kind of the biggest uh, awkwardness of to tell people, especially people that knew me for a long time. So very bizarre journey, I guess, to not talk about it and then, uh, get into an adult almost 30 years old and then start trying to tell people that that's what I have.
0: Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, in the book you mentioned telling people about this for the first time and sort of a, it was like a CP support group. Was that kind of what it was?
1: Yeah. I was working for the Anaheim ducks and Honda center and, um, you know, our owners, the Sam Wellies, you know, was encouraging everybody to join a charity of their choice to kind of give back to the community. And so I literally came about United you know, Cerebral Policy of Orange County through that and was wanting to volunteer from them. And with that kind of really, it was a quick uh, slingshot into um, moving into potentially joining the board of directors. And so by uh, sharing that information with all of them, I think that, that all of a sudden this, story got legs really fast in terms of getting people really interested in uh, behind me of uh, my story having potential to really maybe impact other families with kids with disabilities. So that's when the light bulb started going off a little bit.
0: So was it was like a huge weight lifted or was it like, Oh, crap, what have I done?
1: Um, it was kind of, it's a lot. It was, it was, you start, you know, it, it's not easy to start talking about it in the beginning. You know, it's a lot of awkwardness and you just got to deal with that. And, you know, it's a hard journey, I guess, after a while to learn how to believe in yourself and be confident in yourself. And for so long, you kept it as a secret. So to not know yourself, to not really truly, um, you know, be honest with people about having that disability. You know, it's an interesting journey to, try to find all of that confidence and experience it and really learn about myself, which I never really took the time. I just tried to ignore it and hide it the whole time. So it's actually a really uncomfortable journey in the the first handful of years. Um, It wasn't like a light switch and big weight off my shoulders at all. It was a lot of awkwardness and uncomfortable trying to learn the best way to embrace it, uh, you know, embrace the families of people that were reaching out to me and everything else. And I wasn't doing a good job of that in the beginning because I didn't even really understand what I had.
0: Now, going back to being a kid, was this almost like a, a source of embarrassment for the family?
1: I don't think it was a source of embarrassment, actually. I think it was they more took the approach of, look, he's not really, you know, that different in terms of the way he walks and everything else. So let the, let the guy go out there and he seems to be trying, you know, for sports and, and, you know, trying to get friends and everything else. And if we kind of make it a big thing, they felt that that would then get into my mindset that, um, it may hold me back from doing things. So they wanted to just not really talk about it since it wasn't affecting me to the degree that I couldn't walk or, or could talk. So, they said, you know, let them learn and and kind of go that route. And so everybody can be an armchair quarterback on on Monday, you know, and uh, talk about what they could or couldn't do. And they just felt that that was going to be the best, you know, thing for me. And looking back, I would say that, you know, it's a great lesson that we can learn from. And that talking about it, you know, ourselves in terms of embracing what our challenges are and talking about it is probably the most healthy thing to do so that, it's out there everybody can see it talk about it ask you questions and I think that helps uh you know looking back hey they they there's no way they could really know they were trying they felt that was the best for me so I don't feel that it gave them any shame in terms of my opinion at all um I never got that gist of it from them at all so
0: so it was a bit like when a baby falls if you oh no oh no are you okay they start crying but if you kind of just brush it off they usually get over it pretty fast <laughs>
1: I think that's a great analogy that, you know, I agree with and it's like with my nieces and everything, I believe it's the same thing if you kind of just, you know, they don't, they don't, uh, if you don't acknowledge it or react to it, then are you going to react to it as much? Probably not. And so they were going that route that if they don't really acknowledge it or react to it, then am I going to really, you know, do it on my own? Nope, I didn't. I just went right along with it and didn't really talk about it and, you know, kind of built up. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it did, there were some good things that came out of it and some challenges that came out of that for sure.
0: Yeah, and you talked about playing a lot of sports as a kid. I mean, were you on the teams with everybody or was it just kind of like playground stuff?
1: No, I was definitely on the teams. I, I loved the sports. Like for me, sports was definitely the part that, you know, basically, you know, I was included in something, you know, and so I love that because, um, it was always time around other kids my age and everything like that. So um, soccer was my favorite sport. I was a goalie because I didn't run that well because of my legs. So goalie obviously made the most sense to put me in. I had good eye-hand coordination. Um, and most kids didn't want to play goalie. You know, as at the young age, most of them want to go out and score and kick the ball a lot and everything like that. So it actually worked out in my favor for that. And then baseball, I was catcher. Um, you know, and, you know, it was, again, anything eye hand coordination, uh, you know, those sports is what I kind of really stuck to. And so I played baseball all the way up to high school, played basketball, uh, was a two guard and just was good shooter, terrible at defense, (laughs) not very good at ball handling because of the footwork and everything like that. But if I was open and, and someone got me the ball, I could hit the shots. Like I had a really good shot because it was just more of the eye hand coordination and put it up there. So I just really worked hard in the garage, in the backyard, and just shot baskets a lot and kicked the ball against the garage door. And did a lot of that stuff, I was that kid that just kept working and working and working on things to try to get somewhere as good as other people. So I just had to work harder. And I learned that pretty quickly that that's what I needed to do.
0: Do you think it caused other senses, i.e. your hand-eye coordination to kind of step up their game a little bit?
1: Yeah big time. I have a I have a really high sense of smell too. So I believe that bodies yeah, I believe that bodies and I, I don't think there's a specific formula that if you're deaf you're going to have, you know, great eyesight or anything like that. But what I do believe is that the body the brain does realize, you know, to some extent that it's not well in some areas and so it enhances maybe other areas that it knows it's really strong in. So I do believe that the body's able to do some things like that. And I, um, to specifically which mine are, I'm not sure, but I think, you know, i luckily having good eye hand coordination compared to the legs is great. And then, um, I have a really strong sense of smell, which who knows that could have just been by any chance. I don't know if that has anything to do with the CP or, but yeah, it's interesting. It's a good point. I've definitely thought about it.
0: Yeah. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in prepping for the show, trying to, you know, hey, anybody have any questions. Um, one of the things I've found is a lot of people don't really know much about cerebral palsy, especially kind of what causes it. So what, co- and, I, and I think from what i found is there's a lot of different potential causes and there's just different types and there's not just, you know, one case. So can you give us a little, you know, explanation, a little roadmap on how this all comes about?
1: Yeah, CBD is definitely like, it's interesting. A lot of people have... Most people have heard uh, the word cerebral palsy, but they have, they don't obviously know exactly what that is. A lot of people get it confused with MS or ALS. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because I think it's the initials. I think, you know, but, um, you know, ALS and MS are drastically different in our diseases and unfortunately have some people, unfortunately, can die from them. Um, cerebral palsy is a disability. And so it commonly happens in the womb during the birth process or very early on in a, in, a, in a baby's life and everything like that. So that being said, it's for me, the umbilical cord was wrapped around the neck. I was a perfectly healthy baby. I had turned to go out the birth canal and the umbilical cord got wrapped around my neck and so it's the critical time to get out of the birth canal get the umbilical cord unwrapped, and it chokes you, so it cuts off the circulation of blood and oxygen to your brain, so random parts of your brain die, and that's why you see such severe, you know, degrees of kids that have cerebral palsy and everything else. Some, are unfortunately, are in wheelchairs and can't walk or talk, and then there are people like myself who is very fortunate that, you know, can walk and talk extremely well comparatively and have had a, quote-unquote, pretty normal life and so uh, for 30 years I was you know kind of uh, made excuses and was not proud of you know having it and was more ashamed of having it and now understand you know how lucky and fortunate I am so now I am doing everything in my in my life to go out there and shout out the stereotypes and labels for kids with disabilities but just overall just as people and pushing your life beyond you know the limits that we put on ourselves and that's the that's the things that I'm really out there trying to do the best of is continue to push my life and hopefully just inspire anybody in general to say that we can always try to grow and become better each day and that's all I'm trying to do and learn from things where I didn't do that for thirty years I pretty much didn't grow much at all.
0: That's amazing. Um what is it like, uh, you know, talking about being quote unquote normal, what's it like normally for you when you wake up in the morning? Like how does this affect you know, do you have to do like a big, you know, warm up routine or
1: Yeah, so, like, for me, the best way to explain what happens when I sleep or lay or stay, you know, in one position for, you know, more than a few hours. So, like, sitting on an airline seat or stuff like that as well can happen. Um, You know, my body stiffens up really fast, and so sleeping at night, obviously, for that long period of time, my body gets stiff. And, like, if you haven't worked out for six months and you go into the gym or go for a run or a bike ride and you're really sore the next day in those areas... So the lower half of my body basically feels like each morning it's very stiff. So rolling out of bed is a little bit slower. You know, let my feet you know, obviously hit the ground. There's my feet are very tender. So there's a lot, there's some pain and stuff like that in my feet, and my legs when I stand on them. And then a lot of snap, crackle, pop of the like, you know, it's almost like when you crack your knuckles and stuff. That's kind of what my feet and ankles and stuff uh, sound like in the morning. Um, so I just start walking and then, um, you know, do some stretches and everything else. to so just try to get my legs to loosen up a little bit more. It's not like they're insanely stiff where I can't take steps. It's just much more stiff than it is, you know, throughout the rest of the day. So it just takes a little more stretching and, uh, if it's really tight then do a little bit extra, but, you know, walking up the stairs and, you know, doing the, my morning routine basically really kind of gets me to the point where, everything's about as flexible as it's going to get up for the day.
0: So after doing, you know, like a half marathon, which you've competed in multiple, what is it like to do after that?
1: Um, you know, just similar to other runners, obviously a lot of blisters on the feet, um, because my feet are so stiff. Uh, it's a very rigid run for me. So the impact on my feet is usually a lot greater. I don't get the nice heel to toe roll, um, you know, it's a very stiff, um, non fluid running, uh, a stride I have, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, so it's just a lot of soreness, um, a lot of hip and knee pain, um, and then ankles are very tender as well. But I think it's most of, like everybody gets in terms of, but my muscles are very tight. So the exercise on those, they tear and obviously are much drier because they're so tight. It's hard to get moisture and fluids to them. So they cramp and spasm easier, and which obviously uh, muscle tears and you know, challenges with the muscles. So any long-term running or exercise like those things, that's why there's a lot of people with CP that have never done or attempted you know the similar stuff that I've done just because of the functionality of their muscles. It just can't hold up to it.
0: Yeah. Is, is this caused... Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this caused uh, from a lack of communication between the brain and the muscles?
1: Exactly. It's taking your brain center, you know, the gigantic, you know, huge center that we have is our brains. And that's why kids vary different or people with CP vary differently, whether they're spastic diplegic, which I am, or hemiplegic. Um, You see certain areas because that part of the brain is the part that that is dead or non-functioning So the message center is not able to send the messages to that parts of the body to, you know, open your hand, close your hand or, you know, run or whatever it is. So that's unfortunately, those areas are per se broken in terms of the brain where we, they're trying many different things from hyperbaric chambers to force blood in uh, in the brain area over to those dead parts to all types of things. You're seeing Botox, you know, trying to circumvent the Mm -hmm. Muscles. So, Botox is actually really big with kids with CP to help. They shoot the Botox into the muscles or areas of the nerves in those areas to try to get those particular muscles to relax. And they've had some good success with some people, not all, but you've seen some success on that as well. So, um, if that brain center can't get uh, working, then they're trying other ways to directly affect it and add to see if they can get it to relax or be more flexible.
0: Interesting. So, does the Botox do any sort of permanent fixes, or is it just until it wears off?
1: It could be permanent, but most of the time, it does need ongoing um, treatments and everything like that. Now, I'm definitely going to say, this is with a huge asterisk. That definitely talk to your doctors (laughs) because I am not a doctor, but I have had conversations with Dr. Minion, who's obviously an extreme expert in this area, and you know other doctors too. So, I'm trying to learn as well. Since for thirty years, I never talked about it, so. Literally, the last 10 years, I've been going to school, learning about cerebral palsy and autism and other disabilities that we support. Um, I've got to learn all that stuff because I really, truly don't know that much about it coming from a family that we didn't talk about it for almost
0: 30 years. Wow. What would you say the biggest misconception about CP is?
1: Um, The biggest conception of of CP... uh, That's a great question. I think most of it is that they assume that um, cerebral palsy is something that uh, is gonna eventually like paralyze us, you know, permanently in um, the point that it's gonna get worse or it's gonna drastically affect us even worse than we are. Um, it doesn't, you know, I mean, it's it, with age, obviously our, our bodies start breaking down, whether you have a disability or not. So sure. that stuff naturally is going to happen. But I think the misconception of cerebral palsy is truly what it is and you can it's not contagious, you know, it's not like, it's not any of these things. So I think we're getting better at it that, um, it's, it's based on the brain. And when you have stuff that's based on the brain, uh, through therapies and everything else. There's actually people that have taken great strides. And so I think most people think that you're either going to stuck as where you are or potentially everybody ends up, you know, in a wheelchair or anything else. So it's just a lot of confusion, I think. And like I said, it's compared to MS a lot, which is, you know, uh, definitely they are two drastically different things.
0: Yeah, it sounds like one of the bigger needs of CP right now is literally just educating people on what it's about.
1: Yeah, that's our number one focus is awareness. We've decided that the number one thing that we can do is create the awareness and then through the awareness everything else has come in so all of our partnerships, you know, and everything else and donors have all come based on just, you know, the awareness of me going out and speaking, you know, all over all over the place that that has been our lead kind of thing that we've decided to do is how do we just continue to educate people on it? Cause once people are educated on it, they'll be comfortable going up and talking to people with it and they don't shy away because they don't know what it is, you know? And if we can help them uh, overcome that basic question of what it is, we believe that most people will be a lot more confident and open to going up and, because that's all everybody wants is to say people to say hi to them and engage them and not avoid them. You know, there's nothing worse than when we've all had some time in our life when we're been avoided. Everybody knows it when people go out of their way to avoid you, and it doesn't feel very good.
0: Sure, of course. Um, do people assume that you can't do you know certain things that you're perfectly capable of doing, but because you have the CP, they go, "Well, there's no way he can do that." And I don't mean like yeah, climbing but- mountains, but just normal things
1: yeah normal daily things like so my body is like a total normal functioning body, so people always get worried that you it's so funny people have asked everything from g rated stuff to x rated stuff in <laughs> terms of what what works and doesn't work you know so i've I've had many discussions with many of the um uh, other people that have more severe cases that can talk and everything like that i am from Most have told me that everything functions like it should, each body part and everything else like that. It's just sometimes they may not talk really well, but their brain works well. And that's just the communication center is not able to communicate out the lips or, you know, they're not able to physically walk or anything else or use their hands real well, but all their other body, you know, functions and everything else work fine. So I think that that's probably one of the biggest things is the everyday stuff for me is totally fine. Like obviously, uh, lungs and everything else work. Well, haven't had really any other challenges, but just the long term, you know, effects of, you know, training and, and big races and stuff that I've done. But other than that, everything has been, you know, what I would call normal compared to everyday life for, you know, guys my age. Yeah.
0: Uh, one of the things you mentioned in the book is, uh, this little boy named Jake and team Jake, uh, he had CP and, and passed away, um, was it by choking just in the middle of the night?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately he was an extremely severe case uh, where he couldn't walk or talk or communicate. and so obviously his, you know his parents took care of him full- time, especially his mom was 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 the one. and you know it's hard to, when someone can't walk or talk or communicate with you really hard to know when they have a cold or anything, really, you know, because there are very severe challenges every single day of just living, you know? And so the part that the parents say is is it's really challenging and frustrating is that when their kids aren't feeling well, you know, they'll cry, but you don't really know what that means, you know? Or, you know, and if they don't cry, then there's almost almost so hard to even tell that anything's wrong, you know? And so, um, you know, it's basically... It was, you know, some fluid he had some fluid or something and then coughed or so, and it got literally just lodged, you know, and then he wasn't able to clear his throat because he just can't do that. And so, you know, unfortunately not able to clear it. He wasn't able to breathe and so it's something that I think a lot of these families with the severe cases have to deal with and I just cannot honestly imagine that, that what that feels like to deal with it all the time. It's just cannot it's just gotta be awful.
0: Yeah. Was Jake a big inspiration in you doing all these various physical challenges to to raise awareness?
1: Yeah, Jake is the primary because he his dad was the first person. He was in the room when I you know told the board that my story, which was only five or ten minutes, but it was so nerve wracking for me. Um being so uncomfortable talking about having C P in the early stages, like that I started talking about it. So For him to send me an email that night that said I gave him hope for his family and for Jakey, um, you know, blew my mind for me just starting to be honest about who I am and what I have. And so I had this instant connection with him to um, honestly feel like, you know, wow, if he feels like that about me, I can latch on to him in terms of someone that's super comfortable. So I had an instant bond with him and then which, which obviously came with his family. So I was excited to meet Jakey, who I only met for five minutes before he passed away. So it was just this bond with his dad and then Jakey and just seeing that that's his dad's inspiration and everything like that. um, It just had such a powerful effect on me that I am the death and to watch the family go through his sudden passing. I just told myself I've got to, helped them because that email alone and their acceptance of me as who I am really just said you know wow I want to do everything I can for the family because they believed in me when I started talking about having CP so that was a huge you know like you know relief in terms of just to them that people care for me even if I'm honest about that so I just wanted to support and you know that's what they were such an inspiration to me I guess is the best way to explain it
0: yeah. How did, I mean, you know, you did a couple of half marathons and some, some of the things like that. How did you go from doing some runs to I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise awareness?
1: It was, um, it was kind of more the, when we did the half, um, yeah that was the first time I sent out the email with, and a lot of a lot of my friends did, and people started learning at that juncture that, you know, at CP, um, and then doing the full and in, in J.K.'s honor the next year, you know, I raised a lot of money. And so it just kind of the light bulb went off. It's like, wow, okay, I'm I'm quickly realizing that I've got a gift of being able to run and exercise. So I need to start, I need to continue thinking of new endeavors to one, push my own life. But two, is I can raise a lot of money and awareness for, uh, you know, these kids with disabilities. So Literally, after that full marathon was done and everything, I just started saying, okay, well, I don't want to keep running marathons. I want to keep doing stuff new, you know, keep changing it up and also push my biggest insecurities, which is balance issues, legs, you know, all those types of things. So I um, started looking and was watching uh, Discovery Channel's um, Everest, and I was like, okay, there's no way I'm ever going to do Everest, but I was fascinated by it. And so then I just started looking into other really big mountains that potentially – If I trained really hard for it, then maybe I'd have a chance at it. And I started zeroing in at Kilimanjaro at that time, just where it is, the name, the mystique, you know, all those things that it just had a lot of those things. I said, I think this is going to be an awesome next challenge. So that's really kind of how I did it was just watching videos and and reading a ton about it and just talking to a few people and then ending up saying, all right, I'm going to go for it with pretty much. Not much research comparative to probably what I should have put into it <laughs>
0: <laughs> how uh How long was the prep that you put into it?
1: um uh, I'm training for like eleven months, I think it was ten or eleven months, and um you know, I got some friends and everything to go over with me so uh, but yeah, it was crazy I never been Africa or anything like that, so it was definitely i got got in way over my head, but somehow got lucky and uh you know, I was able to get through it, and, and it was just an awesome experience. And that's why we, part of my foundation, supports um, you know some, the Tanzanian disabled kids in their their community as well. So um, it's definitely been some place that's become near and dear to my heart as well, just because of how great they took care of us when we were over there
0: doing the climb. Yeah, in the book, uh, one more step. You mentioned that there was only one school for kids with disabilities over there, and you had to be, I think it was like sixteen to attend.
1: Yeah, so it was like Farage. So it was called Farage School. And it's crazy that that's the only school that we ever have found that it is. And now we're proud to be partners with them. But what they started and they've built that whole school on their own. And we're just helping them with their therapy center, their early learning center. But, uh, you know, it's really sad, uh, to see that, hey, that's exactly how, I mean, they're just so far behind, but at least to see that there is this, like, this light or this, you know, this beacon of hope and, you know, we're going to work together and we're going to hopefully do a lot more for that and also now showing the government how to help educate these types of kids. Um, I think it's going to do a lot in the long run for many, many more kids currently. It's not that many, but it's a start and we're hopefully educating and helping the government understand how to do this whole process, which is... An awesome experience to go through, yet frustrating at the same time.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine. I'm sure at the very least, there's just language barriers in trying to help them figure out what's going on.
1: Yeah, they run on different time frames than we do. That's for sure. Everything's a lot slower over there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, the book you you talk about, you know, you very detailed uh, recollection of your climb up the mountain. It, it almost, I mean, it essentially reads like a movie. The entire read, I, I could picture everything that was happening. Even when you get to the top, got a little dusty in the living room over here. Um, what was? It, <laughs> don't tell anybody. What was it like for you reaching the very top of the peak?
1: Well, coming out journey was such an interesting part of my life because I was still really in the infancy stages of trying to figure out who the heck I was, just trying to even get comfortable talking about having a CP and what does that mean and everything, and then I throw myself into this whole endeavor. I think it was way premature to go do, but, um, you know, looking back on, I guess hindsight's 2020, 20, but, um, you know, Kilimanjaro was not actually a great experience in terms of, I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't comfortable with who I was. So to be in a very foreign place, um, you know, to be doing on a terrain that I am not familiar with at all. Mountains are not my thing. Um, camping has never been my thing. And, <laughs> So to do all of those things, um, you know, it's 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 something that I can never go back and change. But, you know, I realized that I missed probably a lot of amazing moments on that trip because, you know, I was so caught up and just so focused on getting to the summit and, you know, didn't really enjoy the journey and, you know, doing Ironman with Greg Welch. Um, he taught me about enjoying and loving the journey that you're on because once you get to the the finish line, as he said, like, you know, what are you going to look back on is just that you finished in a medal or something, or are you going to look back on all the amazing people that you met and all the things, you know, that you did during that, that journey. And so Kilimanjaro, I didn't know that, didn't understand that. So I missed probably a lot of amazing things in that, um, you know, in that time getting ready for Kilimanjaro and also, when I went over there, I really just wasn't comfortable or happy with who I was, even though I was over there raising a ton of money and awareness for the people that really needed it. It's It was a very interesting mindset looking back on it uh, in terms of I had a long way to grow up when I was over there. So I, I missed, I think, a lot of great
0: uh, moments over there. Do you think that trip really helped you grow up and, and kind of realize what was going on?
1: Yeah, because I think that was the not the straw that broke the camel's back, but that really accelerated my realization of how unhappy I was and uncomfortable I was. And it really kind of laid out, wow, I've got a really long, you know, uh, stretch here that I've got to really figure out how to better, you know, be a better person and be comfortable with who I am so that I can hopefully go out, and, you know, continue doing these things. So, it did help that portion of it, but I really didn't know how to go about it. Because when I got to the top of the mountain and got home, I I thought there was going to be a magic happy pill at the top of the mountain. And I think a lot of people treat life like that—is that they think that if they just do a good thing or something like that, that there's, there's someone's going to be able to just give them a magic pill. And it's like there is no such thing as a magic pill. It's it's truly looking at the parts of you that you're not happy with or comfortable with and then figuring out how to get over those things and move past them. And and most people aren't willing to do that work, and I sure as heck wasn't to do it for 30-plus years. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's really what the difference maker is, is that now I'm brutally honest with myself and really try to improve on the areas that I'm not very good at and and admit when I'm wrong and make mistakes, and a lot of people don't do that.
0: Yeah, a lot of people aren't uh, interested in that sort of self-reflection. Nope. that's right.
1: None at all whatsoever, yep. Um,
0: so you learned a lot as far as uh, should have looked back, should have enjoyed the ride. When you did the training for the Ironman, um, what was different? Did you train longer? Was was it somebody telling you to, to yeah. calm down?
1: Yeah, no, that, that's Welchie. I, I owe pretty much everything for Ironman to Welchie. Um he obviously his his reputation speaks for itself in terms of just how amazing that person is, and he's everything that everybody says. And uh he really would get on me in a good way about why are you worrying about that? Why are you stressing about that? That doesn't mean anything, mate. And he's Australian, so he's an Aussie. So he, he says mate a lot, and he does. And he's just like, why are you worrying about that, mate? That's don't worry about it and then I'd be like oh my gosh I didn't do this training today and he's like don't worry about it you know he's like it's the journey we got to get you to you know through the journey so you know he just really taught me and showed me that you got to smell the roses and you got to appreciate the things and you know this is a long journey which is almost two years with him training for Iron Man so it was it was way harder training and a lot longer so um you know everything increased but I loved it all things considered of course I hated some of the training moments and yes I was exhausted and stuff like that but the overall journey and I appreciated and enjoyed the people that came on rides with me and worked out with me and everything it was just a much better uh, journey and I think it's because I was more comfortable with myself and also you know just had the love and support from a lot of people that I was accepting of it and you know, letting people in versus keeping everybody away because I didn't
0: really know who I was and just wanted to get to the top of Kili. What was, from a physical standpoint, the hardest part about the Ironman?
1: The hardest physical part was the bike. Uh, The bike portion, which is 112 miles through the Kona uh, lava Fields, um, all the way up to the top of the island to a town called Javi and back, and uh, yeah and uh we estimated that I was going to need to be on the bike for 8 hours so um we knew that pretty much that whole race was going to come down to the bike and having my body locked on a seat per se you know in that position is is very hard on uh you know some of them have cp uh in their legs like i do so the bike itself is is the worst um of the three events by far for me
0: and uh, your overall, I mean, your bike time, I have your times because I was stalking you, eight hours on the bike, overall time of 16, hours, 16 and a half hours, essentially. So half the time almost was spent on the bike, which was your your least favorite of all. That must have been horrible.
1: Yep. And my favorite of all, which is swimming because it's more upper body and that's where I'm strong at, is the least of the three. So that was only an hour and a half. So yeah. uh, you take that away and f- that's 15 hours of two disciplines that I don't like at all, running and biking. But that's, again, why I I chose that uh, Ironman is is because it goes after things that I didn't like to do that I was, you know, really weak in and also the ones that would would scare most people, including myself, because those are the biggest challenges. So I kind of took the opposite approach of both Kilimanjaro and Ironman is things that I thought were going to be absolutely brutally hard on me that I would, that I had in the past shied away from, you know, doing like at the gym and those types of things. So I now go after those things almost like with a, you know, with a complete, you know, focus of that to see if that will then force me to acknowledge it. And then now understanding the journey, acknowledging and enjoying the journey becomes a
0: really great experience. So, would you say the physical pain uh, has translated into any sort of you know learning lessons for you?
1: The yeah, physical pain is always an interesting thing because it's something that I you know uh, talk with a lot of people that have much worse uh, severe cases of CP than I do. You know, their physical pain is way you know worse on their end, and um, physical pain I think becomes just a commonplace, sadly for many of the you know, people with CP. So physical pain for me actually isn't, is, is, is not that worrisome for me because it's such a daily thing and for others it's a daily thing. The emotional pain is actually what I think people least know how to work with. So emotional pain is the scars that actually create the biggest damage on people and not the physical pains and writing the book was when I realized that because writing the book was harder than Kilimanjaro and Iron Man combined because I had to go relive the emotional pains uh, growing up and some other big challenges in my life. And that's not fun to go back and relive those things where you've tried to forget about them. So that stuff was actually much harder on me than uh, Kilimanjaro and Iron Man combined.
0: Was it depressing or was it therapeutic?
1: Very therapeutic. I thought at first it was going to be depressing but it wasn't. It was actually very hard to talk about. And then Neil, I owe a lot to Neil Bascom. He's the co writer and he's just unbelievable to talk to. And we just gelled and clicked like good friends and could talk about anything. And that helped tremendously because he was able to ask the hard questions, but he asked them in such a great way that um, I was never uh never felt like it was accusatory or, you know, threatening or anything like that. It was actually he gave me such an opportunity to uncover all these things, revisit them, and, and hopefully bury them much better and let them go. And for me, a lot of weight fell off my shoulders on the book uh, process and as many things that I actually thought I had dealt with properly but clearly didn't when we talked about him. But then afterwards, felt so great. And then to see him on a book, it's powerful because... I've talked about it. It's in now in writing and there's nothing I can do about it per se. It's there, you know, and it's never going to change forever. And so you can't lie about it and you can't hide from it anymore. So you got to start embracing it and just be proud of it, that you've overcome it and you're talking about it. And hopefully that sharing it helps other people, you know, do that for their life too.
0: So Neil essentially became your therapist for a while.
1: Neil was exactly that. Neil was my two-year therapist. And and I just, was, just got back from a trip from Seattle with him and stayed with his family up there. And it was exactly what we talked about one night at dinner. <laughs> he's my therapist. So uh, he's just a fantastic person. So, yeah, um, emotional pain is the hardest for anybody, I think, to deal with in life.
0: Yeah, I imagine. Unfortunately, the show will come out after this. But coming up in uh, just a few days is the Century Ride in Westlake, which marks... Essentially, your return to, to riding bikes, right?
1: The Westlake Village ride is going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, like you said, it may be coming out afterwards from the, this podcast. But it's probably one of the the coolest honors, the Cannondale. And um, the guys from the Westlake Village Century uh, bestowed on my foundation to be the recipient uh, foundation for... Um, their charity of this ride in one of the places that I guess the cyclists, you know, just love this, this climbs and everything around those mountains. So I'm super stoked to be just be a little bit part of it. And the lake laps are going to be fun because Canada's going to have their bikes out there. You can ride e bikes. You can take out any of their fast race bikes. You know, you can ride a bike just like the one I rode in Kona. So nice. anybody, all ages and everything else, I'm just looking forward to these people to come out and you know, regardless of what your level is from an extreme, uh, extreme, you know, experienced rider, there's the century and there's the 40 miler and then there's the lake laps. So I just love that they create an event that all ages, all levels, skills can come and show up and there's something for you to do there.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. So this is the first time you're getting back on the bike since the Ironman. Do you have any other challenges coming up?
1: Yeah, we're making the um, – with Oakley, we came up with a um, Team Jake Global Challenge because next year will be the 10th anniversary of Jake's passing. So um, since we know not everybody can come out to the Westlake Village uh, Century or come out to the Orange County Marathon where Team Jake is celebrated every year. Um, But if you run any half marathon or half century anywhere in the world this year and you do a full marathon or a full century uh, next year, if you do both of those and wear a King Jake shirt that we give you for free, uh, Oakley's coming out with my signature. I wear next year again, and that's the only way you're going to be able to get it this time is to, you got to earn it. You can buy them this time. So it's something to kind of take them on that journey that I first started, which was a half marathon and full marathon. Those are the two physical challenges I took on. And we hope that it'll start other people on a new journey of their life and take them you know, to the next level and over some challenges that they're having through theirs.
0: That's amazing. We were talking about the OM Foundation earlier. Talk about spreading the word, about CP and everything else. Uh, What what are some of the other services you guys do at the OM Foundation?
1: Yeah, so the two two areas of our focus are both Africa, which is Tanzania, and then obviously the United States. Those are the two areas that we focus here as a foundation. Um, I started the foundation after coming back from Africa, in 2008, and I fund the whole foundation out of my own pocket, but we really were there to build early learning centers both here in the United States and in in Tanzania. Now, Tanzania is a whole different ballgame because of the severity of lack of funding and understanding, so um, they are much different, but also in the same retrospect, just a much earlier version of, you know, we're trying to build the best in the world over here, and Dr. Afshan Aminion is our head of our medical team. So. Um, We utilize all the funds to support either services or the building of early learning centers. Uh, So physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy are three focused areas for those kids, whether it's Down syndrome, autism, uh, spina bifida, or cerebral palsy. Those are the four neuro that are primarily off of the same system. So um, that's why Dr. Minion heads up all that. And he's the great, one of the best in the world and gives us that unbelievable guidance for, you know, what we can do to help those kids the
0: most. That's great. And once again, that's one man, one mission. And those are the number one, not spelled out, org. So check that out. Uh, Bonner, before we let you go, I have a couple of questions from fans that are going to uh, be ridiculous. So, <laughs> I figured I'd save them for Let's the go end. For it. I love it. Yeah. I love it the better. The first one uh is from Shannon. Her question is what was the first thing you ate after climbing Kilimanjaro?
1: The first thing we ate when we got down the hill, um we showered up all of us took about three or four showers because <laughs> it, I mean, we hadn't showered for 8 days and so you just have honesty. dirt and everything everywhere. Yeah. So, but then we all showered up and it was so funny the, the The our hotel recommended this place down the way. And so we walked down to this place and it was, it actually, during the day, it's an automobile garage, like a workshop, like, you know, a repair shop. Sure. But at night it's this amazing, like Middle Eastern barbecue food. <laughs> and it was so good. I mean, we just sat there and it's right there on the street down, not down an alley, but down a smaller street. And we just all sat there. We were all clean, and everybody just ran some beers, and it was just fantastic. It was probably one of the best meals I've ever had because, you know, the stuff on the mountain was fine, especially considering they did a nice job. But, the, yeah, you know, there's nothing that compares to when you get some really good, rich-tasting food. You know, it's got a lot of flavor. So that was what we ate. That was, per se, our first, like, meal I would go with. Of course, you know, we had other snacks, but that was, right. like, the first big thing we ate. It was, oh, so good. <laughs>
0: And from going from a person who's not big on camping to not showering for eight days, that must have been hard.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Absolutely. It's so funny. After about two days or three days, you're just so over it. You're just like, whatever. We all smell. We all look absolutely, like, disgustingly dirty because it's a volcanic mountain. So. They've got that really finite, you know, lava and everything. It's just ground up and everything like that. So it just goes everywhere. It gets into everything. So about two, three days, you're like, <laughs> whatever. Nobody <laughs> even cares.
0: Oh, man. And uh, also a question from Sarah wants to know your favorite ice cream.
1: Favorite ice cream is a brand called Strauss. Get it at Whole Foods. It's an organic ice cream. It's So good, but it's called Strauss Mint Chocolate Chip. It's it's amazing. It's like you wouldn't even know it's organic or anything else, but it's called Strauss, and it's Mint Chocolate Chip ice cream. It's phenomenal.
0: Love that uh, Thrifty's Mint Chocolate Chip. That
1: was good growing up. I absolutely got those too.
0: Definitely. I don't know if that's a Southern California thing, but that is so good. Yeah, I agree. Anyways, uh, all right. That's enough of the the weirdo questions. Thanks for for those people for really wanting to know about food. Of course. Hey, yeah. Food's a good thing. I love food. Yeah, who doesn't? Um, that was one of the things in the book. You're talking about missing in and out, and I can, I can relate as a Southern California guy. Oh,
1: absolutely. Every stop home, it's always Mexican food and in and out, like guac and chips and salsa and in and out. Those are the things that I crave the most when I'm gone uh, on these trips over to Africa or wherever I am in the world. Uh, that's always the first hit when I come back, for sure.
0: Even on the East Coast, guacamole is horrible.
1: Yeah, there's some challenges. I wish I knew better recipes and everything else because I'd love to, because, yes, I think the Mexican food here is by
0: far the best Mexican food (laughs) around. We have it made for sure over here in California. Um, All right. I'll uh, I'll let you go. We'll stop talking about Mexican food because now I'm a little hungry.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, man.
0: I want to thank you for, uh, for hanging out, for spending time, and for telling us about this. Uh, of course, the book, once again, One More Step, My Story of Living with Cerebral Palsy, Climbing Kilimanjaro, and Surviving the Hardest Race on Earth. Uh, I was talking to Bonner beforehand. I'm halfway through. It's an amazing read, and I don't even read books ever. This is probably the first one since college. Also, OneManOneMission.org. That's the number one. And uh, look out for all the, the different events he's doing. Thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks once again to Bonner for joining the show and telling us his incredible story. I was really so inspired. We briefly touched on it during the show. I just wanted to share with you guys how I met Bonner. It was at a press day for a uh, event where he was going to get back on the bike for the first time since his Ironman Kona challenge. He got up in front of everybody and told his story, and I was really moved and inspired and I had to talk to the guys. So afterwards, I went up to him, told him how inspired I was, and asked him to be on the show, and he was nice enough to join. Uh, I ended up doing that event that he was promoting. He made sure I got hooked up with a really, really nice Cannondale bike, and uh, we got to ride around Westlake Village, which if you're not from Southern California is a really nice area, so a few laps around the lake is never bad on a Saturday morning. It's been fun getting to meet and know Bonner. He's a great guy. If you guys want to learn even more about his story, make sure you read his book, One More Step, My Story of Living with Cerebral Palsy, Climbing Kilimanjaro. And surviving the hardest race on earth, it really is a good read. You can pick that up at one more step. One man, one mission. which of course is the number one, not spelled out. Or if you get it from Amazon, go to I want to know click on the Amazon banner, help out the show. If you want to know more about the OM Foundation, you can go to one man, one mission. org. You can also find them on Twitter at one man, one mission. org. That's of course the number one. Facebook.com slash OM Foundation. They're on YouTube and Instagram as well. Make sure you check them out. Such a good thing that Bonner is doing. Let him know that you heard the show and that you enjoyed it. I think he'd like that. And thanks again to him for taking out the time. If you guys want to find out more about this show, of course, you can go to IWantToKnowShow.com. You can also go to Facebook, Facebook.com slash show. Give us the little thumbs up. Click the like button. You can find us on Twitter at show. And if you want to send an email... I want to know pod at gmail.com. You got questions, you got uh, show ideas, anything you want. Send me an email. I love it. Anyways, that's all I've got for you on this episode. I really hope you enjoyed Bonner's story. Let me know if you did. And on that note, good night, everybody. <laughs>